Swing Thoughts Driving. Uh, welcome back, nerds. It's uh, Swing Thoughts Golf Spiritual Leader along with Coach Tim. You know, I, I think at one time, Timmy. Hi, by the way. Oh, hang on a second. I can turn your mic on. I think at one time, Tim. Didn't they used to say, four, please, so-and-so driving? Because, but now they say, uh, they don't, and they say it in a different way. Do you know what I'm talking about when they, they announce people at the Masters? Isn't it four, please, Jordan Spieth, now driving? Yeah, I think Hasn't so. it always been that way? I, you know what? I love you just it. heard it differently. Maybe I did. I just I love starting off the uh, the show by neck hooking it into the woods. <laughs> A couple guys did. <laughs> uh, welcome everyone. It's another episode of Swing Thoughts. Uh, great to have you with us. We have another special guest standing by. Uh, this program brought to you by the Stealth Two Driver, Taylor Made Golf, and the all new Taylor Made Stealth Two. Introducing it. Uh, all kinds of uh, design, of course, the carbon woods, designed with more carbon. And, yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say forgiveness. Don't get on me. <laughs> A lot of guys have been getting on me about saying forgiveness. I don't care. I like it. Uh, learn more about the forgiveness of TaylorMade at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. And uh, if you're seeing this on uh, Timmy's YouTube channel, you are resplendent. Your sartorial uh, splendor wearing your new OB uh, attire, the Oscar Bravo polo shirt. Look at you, man. I know. Isn't it, isn't it cool? These, these collars are just so cool. They're just distinctive. And uh, yeah, first time uh, I've worn it in an official capacity. Well, I here. If you're watching, you're wondering why doesn't Howard have his on? Because my arms are too long. <laughs> yeah, I got giant monkey arms, and uh, I thought I was doing the right thing when I ordered them, but I, I need another size because my arms don't fit. But, so you measured uh, your chest. You I did measured it. All. Your I torso, did it all. measured your hips, but you didn't measure the length of your arms. My I don't arms think that was are, part of the protocol, anyways. I got a ridiculous <laughs> wingspan. Um, who is OscarBravo.com? And now that you can see what Tim is wearing, I mean, really, they're, they're like no polo shirt, no golf shirt you've ever seen. Oscar created only 100 pieces of each item. Never makes the same design twice. It's a lifestyle brand dedicated to painstakingly high-end quality in extremely limited production runs. If you're the kind of person that, uh, you know, isn't afraid to be a bit different and isn't afraid to sort of step out, look at you, O'Connor. I don't, you know, and it's, you're not afraid of people coming up to you at your club and going, can I touch it? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, that aside, I will say, <laughs> remember, we're talking about the, tur- the shirt now. Yes, the shirt. Come who, on. Who is OscarBravo.com? Go and find out the answer for yourself. You might be surprised what the answer turns out to be. Maybe Oscar Bravo is you. Dun, dun, dun. Speaking of distinct, speaking of uh, one of a kind, all of those adjectives describe our guest making a return to this program after far too long away. Uh, it's our pleasure to welcome a man who has been thinking differently about golf 
for a very long time. And what's unique about our guest today is that not only has he a unique perspective on the game, having been a professional golfer for a very long time, a PGA Tour winner, ladies and gentlemen, but early on it was obvious that Richard Zokel was going to think about golf a lot differently because he famously once in a golf tournament many moons ago was wearing a Walkman. That's right, kids, a Walkman. <laughs> um, because he thought differently about the game even uh, and and what's not but my favorite part of that story we don't need to tell it is that he was unafraid of what people would think of him please welcome back Richard Zokel hey, thank dude. you Howard thank you Tim good to be with you uh, yeah that was a very interesting and in, in the start of kind of my career that was my rookie year in 1982 in the PGA Tour and having the courage to do something drastically different was uh was risky and uh, but man oh man did it get me on the path to psychology and understanding and and accepting the fact that if having a superior mindset is the great equalizer in this game of golf and in this game of life dick why don't we just jump right to it what was going on for you in that rookie year in terms of like your headspace and your thinking and what did you think you needed to do to change it well, what I needed to do is I was panicking out there. I think every one of your listeners, I think Howard in particular, you know, has a hyperactive mind. And, you know, this burden of expectations, it puts a lot of pressure and it just mounts. I mean, we're watching uh, uh, Rory McElroy go through this challenge. And if, you know, the game of golf is fascinating and and and, and I think the teaching those who teach are teaching golf swing and in order to improve we need to have a better understanding how our mind works and if we don't we're going to be just continuing this this thought loop from hell that's going to keep us in this what i call golf insanity Mm -hmm. you, you cannot keep doing the same thing over and over again you've got to change your perspective so when i was listening to music i you know my anxiety level on the golf course was so high because i wanted to perform i kept pushing it and then i decided that if i listen to music maybe it'll calm me down so the very first time i didn't practice this in a practice round i put it right into play in the first round of the greater milwaukee open in 1982 and I, and I got to one under, two under, three under, four under, five. I'm coming down the last hole. I'm seven under par. And internally, I am so calm. And mm-hmm. I got the Eagles rocking it out on the, uh, you know, between shots. And I'm going, this is awesome. And it, what it did is it just calmed my hyperactive mind. It took me to a place where I could just allow my ability to come out and it immediately made a difference so from that point on i went wow this is such a psychological game and this is an area that i need to spend more of my time you know you've touched on so many things there that are you know apt we've been talking a lot it just it wasn't by design but a lot about the nature of change this spring and into the new season and we had a great conversation with david ledbetter last week and you know here's a guy ledbetter who's taught for years, some of the best players on the planet. And even he admitted that trying to change your golf swing for the average person, you know, isn't the low-hanging fruit that trying to change your perspective about the game 
would be because as you said you know people have been teaching golf swing and for the most part most people don't have the dedication time or energy to actually make a change in their golf swing but a lot of the things that you're you've talked about we've talked about on the show now for eight years that is available to people to be able to calm themselves to at least access some of their better their better abilities mm-hmm yeah, and, and understand our mind, most importantly, I think is really in one of the I, I and I recommend you um, reaching out and looking at this TED talk that this gal named Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor, she, she wrote a book called uh, My in My Stroke of My Stroke of Insight. So the story with Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor, she was a brain scientist doing research for the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical. And, and she was, you know, studying the brain and how it functioned. And then she had a cerebral hemorrhage, hemorrhage in her left hemisphere. She had a stroke and she had the forethought. Now, if you, you, you listen to her TED Talk, there's 24, 25 million viewers that listen to this. So she talked about during this moment where her life was in peril, she was dying. She had the forethought to kind of look at herself in, uh, from a scientist. So her left side of her brain was damaged. And, and, and she, then she would get, as she called it, go offline and go into her other personality, her intuition, and she was in bliss. And then she'd check back into her left brain and she was trying to figure out how she's going to survive, like call an ambulance and so forth. So go to TED Talk, Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor, and listen to this. And it, you, the, what you come away with is that we have two personalities in our mind. And, and one is our intuition, and it sits there calmly. And our, our, our logical brain, which where our ego fits, if it's driving the bus in life, it's really we're, we got the wrong person driving the bus. And our ego has great intentions, and, and it just doesn't know what it doesn't know. And, and you know, with Tim, with what you're doing, you're trying to, in your, in your teachings, in the path you're on, you want to become more intuitive. Because intuitive, the type of thought that your intuition has is called spatial thought. Spatial thought is the type of thought that it takes you to throw a ball, catch a ball, mm-hmm. hit a bat, and, and your logical mind should not be a part of this. Once you learn the basic fundamentals, you got to learn to let go and then and, and stop thinking of golf swing. And, you know, we've got to separate what we do in the driving range or the practice field and separate what we do on the golf course. We need to, in my opinion, we need to create this different perspective, this different language. So we're on the golf course. We're not making golf swings. We're executing shots. It doesn't matter if it's a chip a putt or a driver it's in this shot right now there's two key performance markers that are really really important all kinds of other data in this world but i call it irrelevant data and if you want to geek out in data go jump in a lake you'll get confused Mm -hmm. but when it comes to simplifying it on the golf course your only ability on this on each shot this shot right now is your ability to assess the shot Let's pick the right club based on the information, wind, lie, temperature, all these factors, make a decision, and then make an execution of that shot. Not a golf swing, but an execution of that shot. So the importance is, so when we think of golf course performance, 
we, we, we separate it. We, so we think of the driving range as where we work on our golf swing with your instructor to improve our fundamentals. But every time you go in the golf course, you think of each shot as, as, as and there's only two key performance markers, your ability to assess, your ability to execute, and keep that measurement. Mm-hmm. When you keep that measurement of your two key performance markers, you detach from the result. And basically, it's really it's it's and you detach emotionally from the result, and it gives you a, the ability to get in the present moment. And just before Tim jumps in, what I love about that though is, and that's so important because <clears throat> you know, as a better player, sometimes you're sucked into judging what just happened, not not by what happened, but by the model of your golf swing. Did I execute my golf swing? And that's the mm-hmm. wrong key performance marker. And I, I've listen, I've been reading a little bit about mind track recently again and and that's yep. one of the things i love about it is because what most people do is the opposite they jump they they jump to how did that go versus what i was trying to figure out on the range now tim mm-hmm. yeah well um yeah dick i love what you're you're talking about um it, it, it goes back all the way to timothy galway back yes. in 1974 inner game of tennis talking about self one ego right. self two largely exactly. the subconscious let's let self two just play yeah. <laughs> but that's so hard cuz in essence it goes against the culture so here we are what 40 years later and we still what you're talking about goes against the grain of this golf culture you can see it instagram tiktok youtube you know we joked last week with david ledbetter you know there's 7 million Thing, uh, videos on YouTube of how to swing the golf club. But that's the hard sell. That's mm-hmm. not what people are looking for. So what you're talking about is I think that the hard thing is, I think, for people is to stay committed to what they're working on, to stay accountable. And so how does MindTrack help someone to measure what you're talking about, these important things like assessment and execution – and to keep them committed and accountable. Well, there's a couple of things, number of th- three things in there. First of all, the reason why it's so difficult is we're conditioned to be this way. And yeah. that's the problem in the first place. So, again, there's this mental loop from hell. And we rerun this whole thing and we just over and over and over again, we go into golf insanity. So you cannot do this. You cannot will yourself into the present moment. I tried. It doesn't work. You only go to, you default to your conditioned response. So if you're a a person who's frightened all the time, you know, if you don't change your perspective, you will stay frightened. And when you're in those situations, so what you have to do is you have to have a system. I was reaching out to Brad Faxon and saying, look, Rory is going to run into this problem again unless he gets his, his conditioned response changed and if you're if you continually run this loop every time you play golf on the golf course and your awareness is on that result or you're worried about what other someone's going to say regardless you don't you will repeat the same thing and as far as it comes to commitment i have a bit of a concern with that terminology you know bob rotella wrote this book called golf is a game of of confidence and I'm going to be a disruptor for that. It, golf is not a game of confidence. Golf is a game of performance. Performance, how well you perform, whether it's perform well or perform poorly, poorly, will then determine what level of confidence you have. 
And I think we constantly get this cart before the horse and commitment. I think commitment is used too infrequently. Like you can make a, you can be committed to the shot and make an awful execution. Mm-hmm. You, and, and, and if you have a problem with commitment, then you better work on commitment. And, 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 you, and if you can't commit to the shot. You're going to, you're going to struggle. Let me jump in before you get to your other two. And because, because what I think you're saying is important in that people, whether they're scared or they're confident, it has to do with the fact that the paradigm that they're working under, their performance paradigm is broken. And it has been for a long time, which is why I've said a couple of years ago, you can't golf swing your way to lower scores. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, what we've been saying recently is that, you know, the margin of improvement, the the ability to change your swing for most people listening to our show in their sort of 40s, 50s and 60s, that ain't going to happen. Right. So back to what you're saying about shifting the the ideal, which isn't where how did the shot turn out? What do people think of it is, you know, did I assess it correctly? And did I execute it to the best of my ability, given these circumstances? Mm-hmm. This situation, this situation, changes happen all the time. <clears throat> you know, playing golf nine holes after dinner on a beautiful summer evening by yourself is just peaceful. It's bliss. But you put yourself in the lead of the Masters going into the the, the final round against John Rahm. Uh, what Brooks Kepka did, that's a completely different matter. <laughs> yes, slightly. And, 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 and if you're not conditioned to have a system to focus on assessing on this shot right now, assessing and executing, you will run into a buzzsaw. You will, you will, it will, it will blow you apart. You, and you have to get conditioned before you're in there, in that state. And, and, um, you, and, and the, the question is, so I'm going to ask you, let me ask Tim, you this, this question right here on, on uh, and then I'll ask you, Howard, when you're faced with this golf shot, any shot you want, it doesn't matter if it's a putt, a chip, bunker shot, trouble shot, or a tee shot or a long iron shot. The thing you have to ask yourself, are you capable of assessing this shot to best of your ability? Tim, what's your answer? I'll do my best in terms of being open to what's happening out there in terms of like feeling the wind, feeling the, the, the lie, um, assessing, you know, the data, what's going on, how wet is it, all that kind of stuff. I'll do my best. Got it. Okay. Good. That's your answer. Now, uh, Howard, I'm going to ask you on this tee shot right here, are you capable of making an excellent execution? And I would say, uh, to be honest, that sometimes, depending on the situation, I don't think I always assess it to my best of my ability because when I go out by myself on a assess summer's... Assess and execute. Assess and execute. When I go out <clears throat> by myself on a summer's evening and play nine holes, you know, I hit it like a plus three. But I'm on the first tee of the uh, Canadian Senior Am and I neck... Okay. I, I, I neck a hybrid 180 yards. <clears throat> okay, so let's look at the answers through this question. Is both of you, you know, are, this shot right here, whatever the shot is, the, the question is, are you capable of making an excellent execution? Tim, you said, I'll do my best. Howard, you said sometimes. Yeah. Okay. What's your handicap, Howard? Uh, zero. Three, point zero. zero? Yeah. Tim, what's your handicap? 
Uh, 5.3 index. Okay, you're excellent golfers. And the question to any shot, if I ask you, are you capable of making an excellent assessment? And an excellent should be, absolutely. Yes, oh, yeah. Are, we, are we capable? Absolutely, every that's time. The, but Cap- that's the question. Are yeah. you capable? Is it possible? Yes. Shot? Capable. Yes. Not, you know, are you capable? Yeah, and you're, you're quite capable to do it a lot. Yes. So each shot you set up, and you ask yourself, and 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 it, are you are and if you perform, there's three measurements on these two key performance markers. Remember your assessment of the shot and your execution of the shot. So your goal is to make an excellent assessment and an excellent execution. Are you capable of doing that? Of course you are. You're an advanced golfer. Of course you are. Don't go into that haphazardly go into it with this commitment and this perspective my goal is to make an excellent assessment excellent execution so in mind track you enter that that's your that's your scoring system and and then you go in there and do the best you can because that's all you can do right. and when you ask yourself that question it sets you up of let me do this i this is what i need to do now when you say are you capable of making this excellent execution you go, yes, I've done it only a million times, and this is what it feels like. <laughs> right. Show me. Do it. And then select that data. And you go, oh, this was satisfactory. And so there's three data points, excellent, satisfactory, and unsatisfactory. And you know what? After you focus strictly on this measurement point, you learn to detach from the score. The score go- After you make this excellent execution on this, uh, an assessment on this eight-foot putt, You'll and, and when you get a handle on it and that ball goes in the hole, that's a byproduct of what of this assessment and execution. The assessment of reading the green and the execution of executing that shot that it took to take that break to go in the hole. And, and what and I like about that it is, frees it, you up. I was gonna say I was just gonna say that. What I like about that idea of assessing it on those parameters is that it takes the it takes the burden of is it going in or not out of the picture. The result is taken out of the picture because, yeah. hey, listen, sometimes you can um, read a green perfectly, make a lovely stroke. It just doesn't go in, but that would be one of those three would be a satisfactory or excellent execution. Yeah. Assessment or execution. Right. It didn't go in, but that, so most of us would go, shit, it didn't go in and then be pissed at that, but not taking exactly. take in consideration you're that you've made a good stroke. Yes. When you're emotionally attached to the result, right. that feeds your ego. It takes you down the rabbit hole and the mental fitness is to stop doing that. You need a different measuring system and focusing on that. And, and that's when, like, I'm, I remember I told you that story. I was getting really good at this. When I was in the final round of the U.S. Open at 2000 at Pebble Beach, and that front nine, I shot 30, which was a record for any U.S. Open on Sundays. My caddy says to me, says, do you know what you shot? I went, no, I don't. <laughs> no. I don't, don't want to No, no, it's not you don't want to know. And then the aha moment happens when I found out, because usually when you find out where you're at on your par, then that changes your perspective and you revert back to that collapse. The aha moment with mind track is that after he he told me I shot 30, I still didn't freaking care. Wow. That was the aha moment. Okay, let's. Uh, I don't, we got. We only have Richard for a certain amount of time, so let's get uh, a couple things. There's lots of stuff to unpack. There, as the kids say. Uh, last uh, weekend, I was uh, going back and forth with Richard a little bit, watching uh, the Masters, and we were. 
you know, a few things happen. I just want to get to this because you mentioned Rory. We can get to that in a second. But um, just give us the tour player's perspective on something that, you know, we must have known that happens all the time. And it was the situation on Thursday, I think, where Kepka's caddy told um, Woodlands. Woodlands caddy. Butchie, yep. Our buddy used to have a caddy for Weir, for you Canadian fans. Um, basically told him what club that Brooks had hit. Yes, quite, he did. Quite overtly. But Richard, I would say to you before, uh, okay, well, no, I, um, doesn't this just go on all the time? Well, the rules, of, it, it, it does to some degree, but not in the way Ricky Elliott said to Butchie. So the rules state you are not allowed to give advice or receive advice. Okay? So do people come over, you know, you're not allowed to, you can go over to the other person's bag and decipher what club they're using because they're on the tee with the six iron. You can't get in there and touch the golf clubs and move the head covers (laughs) to see which, that's a penalty. Yeah. The, where the difference happens, and that happens all the time, and sometimes, and then the caddies flash these numbers of the clubs to the spotters, and and the intent is to give it to the spotters for television. That's fine, and if if a caddy sees what they're doing, that's irrelevant. But when a caddy says so, in this situation, after Kepka hit five iron on his second shot on the fifteenth hole, uh, Ricky Elliott says to Butchie, <clears throat> five. Now. It's one thing to, to, you know, so he is, we don't know if, if Butchie asked for advice from Richie. He said, what did you hit? That's a breach of the rules. There was no evidence of that. But, but there was evidence of Ricky saying five, voicing it. Now, in the rules of golf, that's giving advice. He should have been penalized. The evidence was there. The master's committee, uh, unfortunately, just you know, they asked them. I don't think they were truthful or didn't know the situation. Either way, in my opinion, and in most people's opinion on the tour, they say this is a breach of the rules. And I really think that the Masters Rules Committee really screwed up on this one. Mm-hmm. I know you do. The thing that I wanted, that's, I, we're going to hop, I think we're going to hop from topic to topic here, all Masters related. One of the things that I th- was really surprised about, uh, and I, Dick, I don't know if you have any insight into this, but um, it looked pretty apparent that Brooks was pretty upset about the pace of play. And, of course, there's been some fallout from that. Cantley was saying, well, hey, mm. you know, the people in front of us, all this kind of thing. But what I was surprised about was that the CBS announcers didn't even talk about it. I never mm-hmm. heard a word about it. And mm-hmm. I just kind of wonder, why was this kind of swept under the It just seems so obvious to talk about. So what do you think was going on there? Well, I think, you know, slow play has been a problem for only 50 years on the PGA Tour. <laughs> and, and 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 they're not doing anything about it, which is just just awful. I, I, I you know uh, Brooks Kepka is absolutely right. You know Cantley, and they're not, and they're not going to improve anything until uh, as it relates to slow play until they start giving penalties. They can't find these guys. It's not going to work because a fifty thousand dollar fine to to uh, Rory McIlroy is very different than a fifty thousand dollar fine to Michael Gligic on the tour. And, and they tolerate it. And, 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 and the, why the announcers don't do anything is they're collared. 
The Masters Committee dictates what they can say. They can't uh, say yeah, that's what I was, I was say. wondering if it's yeah. Finchy and Immelman worried about that they won't be able to you know, talk to no, Cantley later. No, I, no, I know it's it's what Richard just said. I was going to say that uh, being in the broadcast business, and I know the the deal they have with CBS. They didn't say anything about it because the Masters tournament isn't to be right. sullied. Thank you. by something as no, I get it pedestrian as slow totally play. Well, they turfed Gary McCord off for saying bikini right, wax. There yeah. bikini wax yeah. and mobs. And by the way, exactly. there was uh, the you know I, I read this this morning. There was forty five or fifty minutes the time that. Rom, yeah. that Rom and Brooks Kepka sat on tees waiting yeah. to hit a shot. Yeah. Enough time apparently for John Rom to go to the bathroom seven times. Seven, no, <laughs> anyways, that. yeah, that was now, great. Uh, Dick, what, what I want to ask you about was, and this is kind of back into what I think that this is one of the reasons why you're uh, uh, one of our favorite guests. Um, is I read a really interesting piece this morning that I hadn't considered, and it was part of like, maybe we need to reevaluate what we mean by the word clutch. It was Shane Ryan in Golf Digest. So uh, Brooks Koepka wins four majors. You know, he's regarded as clutch. Uh, you know, other players uh, who came out and won, and now they're not winning as much. Mm-hmm. So Rory came out early in his career. Four majors, Jordan, three majors. And now it's, and even Brooks now, it seems that they got that start. You know, they look like they're clutch. They can bring it major. And now it doesn't seem to be as easy. In fact, it seems to be even harder. What's your sense of what's going on around that? This maybe early success, perhaps it's expectations. Um, how they perceive that they're viewed in the world of golf. What do you think is going on there, Dick? Well, I think it it um, it depends on on how each person when they when they come out that we see often. I mean, it happened with Bobby Clampett when I came out. I mean, I lived with the guy for three years, and what he was doing <clears throat> it happened to Johnny Miller. These guys come out and they have success. I think naivety plays a significant role. These guys are very talented coming out of college. And there's, their game is no, no issue whatsoever. And, and, but when they get in these situations, if things turn well, they're excited, they're playing, they're naive. They don't have, they've not had that punch in the nose or that car accident that causes a little bit of doubt, a little bit of trauma. It will work out you know, in the wash over the period of time. It will catch up to itself and it'll equal itself out in the wash. So it, nobody is exempt. So I look at like a Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, even a Rory McIlroy. And, and, you know, Rory's talking about, you know, he never used to have he, uh, any fear. Now he's got expectations and it's a lot harder, particularly when they start making, you know, they're married, they get kids, their businesses, they're making hundreds of millions of dollars. They've got to put their share, their attention to these other things. So they get diluted down and it will inevitably catch up to all of them. Nobody is exempt from this. It's And it's interesting to watch Brooks because I give him high credit. So, you know, when you, when you looked at um, the Netflix full swing and looked at Brooks Kepka. I, I was quite embarrassed for him. I, I really thought we we're watching a guy with an out of control eagle and a petulant child you know, to a large degree, and he hasn't figured out adversity. And this game is full of adversity. Now, this Brooks Kepka, who we watched after the Masters, after he didn't win, looks so much better. He looks so much more stable. 
and he's honest. He's not looking in there and standing in there and trying to be the tough guy. He's open Mm -hmm. and has acceptance. And I think that there's one other thing I want to hit you with is this. If you want to be a great player or a better player, you have to have a high level of acceptance. And that's accepting anything that can go sideways if you want to have if you want to be a stable player. Well, I agree with a lot of what you said there, and I've thought about that. I mean, I've never been a Brooks Kepka fan, and, though, and it's interesting that you said the full swing, you felt a little bit of, we call it transferred embarrassment for him. <laughs> I, I, I felt a little bit that for him, but I also felt some empathy for him, which I, which I had not. He was not, honest. Yeah, yeah, and, oh, yeah. And for me, it was a different emotion around Brooks Kepka because I had not felt that for him. I had a bit of empathy for him and agree with you about, his uh his behavior after the masters but back to what you said about expectations i know what tim's going to say and mm-hmm. it's what we've been talking about for a long time those guys have early success and as you say it's almost naivete but what and, and i'll just say this too i don't think rory mcelroy guys i don't see him winning the masters i'm sorry and i'll tell you why palmer didn't win that that extra major um Lots of guys Sneed. didn't. Uh, Snead didn't win it. Mickelson didn't win it. The reason they didn't win the fourth one is because it's really hard when you and everybody else is expecting you to. And I wasn't the least bit surprised that McElroy shot 75. Because I got I to gotta tell you, like, and again, this is stupid, but we've all been in those situations, whether it's professionally or in the world of golf, where all of a sudden some success came and now you've got people paying attention to mm-hmm. you. And it's unnerving. So imagine what his world is like. Mm-hmm. So the answer to that, yes. and, and you're absolutely right. So if Rory continues and doesn't make a change to his conditioned response, he will, this, this thought loop from hell will continue and he won't get out of it. He has to change his perspective. And, and his perspective was evident Last year at the Open Championship at St. Andrews, they asked him, what is your game plan? He goes, my game plan is to go out there and shoot the lowest score. Shooting, a lowest score, shooting the lowest score is a goal. It's not a game plan. And he it told yeah. me that he didn't have uh, a proper perspective, one that pulls him into the present moment. He's still goal-oriented. So, And we watched it again. So Rory McIlroy has no problems winning PGA Tour events when he has the lead. Rory McIlroy has a problem with performance when he has the lead in a major. Like that final round at the Open Championship at St. Andrews, he had a four-shot lead, basically. Everyone around him, the golf course was playing easy. Everyone around him was shooting deep under par. He crapped the bed. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, you know, and it was sitting there. He drove it well, and, and his approach shots were poor. And that was the difference, and he didn't perform well enough. Now, he has a quote here that I love, and he says, I'm trying to improve mentally. I had freedom early in my career, but when expectations began, I started to play carefully and second-guess myself. I want to play with freedom. He's trying to get on the right track, but... He's not getting on the right track. And, I, you know, and believe me, I have reached out to Brad Faxon mm-hmm. and, and was telling Brad about 
the only way he's going to be able to do this is to start a system that's going to condition response him out of the mindset that he's in right now and establish one that's going to detach emotionally from the results. If you can't do that, he's not going to make progress. Okay, we got about five yeah. minutes left, Tim. I know, I know Richard, before the show, said he'd like to talk about um, something that had come up on our show. No, I just wanted to make the point that uh, what you said earlier about this default to conditioned response, and that's what happens for people. I just I, I just watch it all the time yeah, of course. Uh, in golf and in their relationships, in their in their work life is just that, you know, we we come f- as little kids with these strategies that kept us safe and that worked. This part of us is OK to show the world, particularly our parents, and these other parts are not. And so we develop these strategies and they and at a certain point they stop working and trying to break out of those takes an, a, an incredible amount of awareness. And, and and unfortunately, it takes um, it takes suffering. It takes pain. It takes loss and sometimes humiliation to be able to really grasp what the hell is going on and mm-hmm. see that this usual way. It ain't working anymore. Right. And, but that's hard. That's really, really hard for people to break out of those defaults. Yes. Sure. And we get conditioned by our parents and we, we collect all the bad things that come with them. And I think over each uh, generation, we improve and, and the next generation should be better than the other. And that's true. And yes. Yeah, so when we have lost, I lost my brother-in-law uh, two weeks ago, who was my best friend. Mm, and and, and, and those moments when we have loss starts to put, uh, we all know that it, it puts things in proper perspective. I mean, for gosh sakes, golf is a game. It's a freaking game that we get out of perspective and we and again if we in life is a game that if if we put it in the proper perspective we can be a whole lot happier with everything we do so i'm you know we're moving forward with it this untapped mindset that is the next level in the front line of performance needs to be discovered even more mm-hmm. and 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 it, it you know what as, as Raymond Pryor, uh, who's who just came out, who's a contractor with MindTrack as well, he's a clinical psychologist. He says, "This is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple, and yeah. it's really important to simplify it." So we've rendered it down to assessing and executing, and that's what you do on the golf course. You collect the data of your performance on the golf course because the driving range doesn't matter. You can hit it perfectly on the driving range, but when the situational changes from the driving range to the first tee, people freak out. Exactly. And you need to focus on the key performance markers on the golf course. Change your perspective, change your language, look at it differently, and we can be conditioned to be very structured in that, in that situation. Okay, in our last couple minutes, I know that's hard for all of us because we're chatty. Um, I, I've already, it was about 45 minutes ago that we first started talking to Richard off the air. But what was it that we were talking about in one episode that you said, oh, that thing you guys were talking about? And then you sent us both a, um, it was oh, a swing free thing. Swing yeah. free. Can you, can you sum that up for sure. our audience in a couple of minutes? Because it's fascinating. Yeah, you- yeah, you, you, you guys were talking about that finished position. Yes. Newts and, 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 and Alvy Thompson, who was a great player. He was a great player and best friend of George Newtson. And he, he was my mentor 
And he was telling me that, you know, that George Knutson really worked hard. He learned this from Hogan to land that that uh, <clears throat> ball of your right foot in the in your follow through position. And so I created this system called Swing Free. It was done in 1994. And there's three positions that you hold. You have to master your address position, which is an athletic position. I think you were talking about that position yourself, yeah, Howard. Talking about working on, working on my setup, just working on exactly. feeling that so, setup. The athletic position yes. at shortstop at golf or playing soccer or ready to you know fight, you're in that knees bent, you're in that position to go. So that's step one is the address position. And then completing the finished backswing position is step two. And then completing the finished, the proper finished follow-through position like George Knudsen, maintaining your spine angle, holding your ball of your left down. So it stretches out your, your left hip. And, and so those anchor points of, of hitting step one, step two, step three. I don't care if you, if you take the golf club away like Jim Furyk and take it, loop it way outside. As long as you set it, in that finished position, that's all that matters. And what oh, the only thing that matters, and you're going to have stable, stable stability through the impact zone if you nail that finished position. If you if you train that, train your ability to hit those predominantly the number two and the number three position on the golf course, um, then you will be able to uh, improve the stability of your golf swing. Here's a question for you before you go: Do you play much golf anymore? I, I last year I played. I started to play a lot more golf. <clears throat> um, I, last year I had a standing tee time at Sagebrush uh, at, at ten o'clock every Sunday, and I go out and play. I play nice. once a week. I, well, I, my but sons play with my friends. And for someone who played at a high, high level, you played in uh, three of the four majors. You played in the Masters. You won a tour event. You've won countless other events. You were the Canadian amateur champion. When you go out now. Are you able to enjoy golf at whatever level shows yes. up? Yes, I love it. The reason why is because I don't care <laughs> about my swing. I literally don't care. And because I've conditioned myself with my, my ability to assess and execute, and I, and, and I look at my ability to assess and execute as a, still a high level. Mm-hmm. Do, I, do I attach it to when I was in my prime? Uh, you know, No, I'm a different person. But I, I'm still my because I've conditioned. I love taking the the app out right now and playing, and I it keeps me focused. It keeps me driven to keep these performance on the key performance markers. And because it doesn't matter to me, I can't believe how often I play better than when I, you know, than when I don't. So to be clear, the app is available on. Uh, I I'm not sure if it's on. I know it's on well, iTunes. Is it on yeah, Apple? It, well, is it also I, available just, for Android as well, or no? Well, we don't have it. We're still we're, we've put the app into a, a bit of hibernation oh, right okay. now. Right. It was on the App Store. We're looking to. We haven't built an Android yet. We're we're we're, we're we have to get to the next level of, of development, and we have to make some adjustments to it. So it's just been turned off in the App Store, and I'm looking to expand it into an Android. And we have to develop the back end further. So because the Amazon Web Service uh, cost for data, and mm. we have about 
We have thousands of people using it, and the cost in it is prohibitive right All now. Right. So I'm looking to find a better way to to put a shit out there. But you can do this without even the app. It's just you know. But that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get this thing into the marketplace. Never enough. So just time. real quick, uh, just I, I know our sure. people. I was looking for for uh, for these golden moments. So when I finish my swing, I'm supposed to have my weight on the ball of my left foot. As right foot is that it? Right foot. Ball on your le- left when the when you finish. You're on the ball on your left foot. Oh, the ball yes. of your left foot. Yeah, if you're right. a right-handed golfer, so so yep. there's a bit of a, a, a center of gravity shift on you when you take your club back. You're going to shift your center of gravity. You don't want to get past the instep of your right foot, or else you lose balance and you complete your back swing. You know, and then the follow-through, you swing through to the finish position, maintaining your spine angle. It's going to put a lot of stress on your back. And you do it slowly, and, and there's uh, don't do it too much. You don't want to hurt yourself, but you do it slowly. And physically condition yourself to, to be physically fit into that position. It'll make it a lot easier for you. Richard Zokel, right. thank you, my friend. Uh, always a pleasure, and hope to catch up with you again. We've uh, decided this season that we're going to lean on some of our favorite people, and if you don't mind, uh, we'd like to reach out to you again from time to time. Happy to do it anytime, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. Right, Dick, great to see you, man. My Cheers. pleasure, guys. Thank you. Well. There's a guy. There's a guy that's thinking about golf. Let me just reset something here as Richard takes off. There we go. Yeah. You know, when you wonder, uh, sometimes I think, is it just me and Tim? <laughs> is, is it just me and Tim that think like this about golf? And then, no, no, Richard's thinking like this, too. You know, I knew, uh, again, taking nothing away from Brooks Kepka and his performance for the first couple of rounds, but uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine. I said, when you see a tour player hit the drive that Brooks Kepka hit on one in the yeah. last round, when a two, like that's something that you and I could do. Like, I could easily pull hook it onto another fairway. But when you, like when you, when you see a, a tour player pull, when they say, oh, he's pulled that one, it's in the left trees, like maximum. But when he, when they showed the, the shot tracker, tracer, yeah. I should say, into the ninth fairway, I was like, well, that's, that's not something you see every day. <laughs> like, exactly. It was so bad. It was good. Oh, oh, no, it was it was great. But it was a real indication of where he was at mentally. You know, how often have you seen that? Um, Hovland got off to a bad start as well. Uh, Rory, a few years ago, when he was, uh, I think he was trailing uh, Patrick Reed. Uh, same thing. He hit his to the right. I mean, he almost hit it on Washington Road, for yeah. God's sakes. And, and, you know, not to get into a deep dive about the live tour versus PGA tour. And and somebody mentioned this on the broadcast. And, again, I thought they were being all very respectful of these players, but uh, because it's the Masters. But they said something like, well, he's been playing 72 whole tournaments his whole life, which is true. But as we both know from playing some competitive golf, that recency bias is a real thing in golf. If you haven't played in 72 whole tournaments for a while, there's an adjustment period and it's the Masters. You know, he's gone from playing live tournaments, which are no cut, very little pressure. There's music playing. Uh, 
Uh, it's got a, you know, kind of a party vibe. It's like the Phoenix uh, tournament all the time. Yeah. And then you go down Magnolia Road and all of a sudden you're Brooks Kepka again, the monster of the majors. And I think it all just, you know, I know the joke was, well, you know, if he did his three rounds, he would have won. But I think there was a real, there's something about the fact that his recency of experience wasn't quite the pressure that that brings with it. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. See, part of it, too, is how focused you have to be. And you need to be mentally fit. You have to have gone through this a lot. Um, Bobby Jones used to say after playing in a tournament, like he would lose something like 20 pounds. And it wasn't just from the physicality of walking 72 holes. It was from the focus that it takes. You expend way more energy mentally than you do physically. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes you tired. And I have a sense. So you add all that stuff that you mentioned, Magnolia Lane, here we are at the Masters, and they have to play. Uh, how many holes was it that uh, Kepka had to play on Sunday? Uh, nine and seven, eight. Was it so eleven it, and like, uh, no eighteen and eleven? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, almost thirty uh, holes. Yeah. So that's a lot of golf, and you have to play at this level where you maintain this focus. I mean, it's it's just a stupid example, but it's all I got. I remember last year playing by myself. I made the turn even par. Right. And. I hit my drive on 10 and I'm driving down and I'm going like, do I want to keep this level of focus? It's tiring. It really is. I mean, you drop in and out you know, after you hit a shot, but to play at a high level requires not Herculean force of will, but it does take a level of focus and intention. It takes a ten- and attention gonna, too. It takes a yeah, level exactly. of attention. I'm going to maintain this. Yeah. And, it is hard work. And I'm not sure that, that Kepka, just as you said, he had recently gone through it. And I just think unless you do, it's it's hard to maintain that level of performance. Well, and also the idea, and again, I was saying this to my buddy the other day. I said, you know, when you have to make the cut, one of the great things about the meritocracy that is golf is you've got to make the cut on Friday, whether you're Brooks Kepka or Tiger or Morori. Having to make that Friday cut every week also brings a level of in- of intensity with it. Yes, that you don't get on the Live Tour because you know, you know you know teeing it up. You're going to play all three days, and it's going to be fun. And you're on this team, and you know say, make lots of money, make lots of money. And there's there's not the intensity. Yes, you know, I, I'm sure he felt some nerves the week before in Miami when he won. Because, you know, that also, it doesn't matter whether it's 54 or 72. Winning has also got an intensity with it, but it's a different kind. And, and like I said, I, I believe his recency of experience contributed just the same way, on the other hand, that John Rahm, who may, uh, maybe hasn't had his best stuff recently, but he's had his best stuff for, you know, this season. He's won already. He's been in the mix already, but he's playing week in and week out with um, having to make the cut as well as finish. And I think he just knew that at some point in that day, you know, it was going to go his way. And because look at how he played. Oh, he yeah, played yeah, flawlessly. Not, he, not, I, I'm not, not even sure he missed a fairway. I was going to say, sakes. not spectacular. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, he's 15 under. It was just very functional. Given the circumstances. Oh, yeah. I just love watching 
drive the ball. Oh my gosh, it's oh, yeah. there's so much power and and just it's just it seems so simple and natural and pow. But one of the things that that anyone who performs at a high level and it's it's almost it is it sounds like a cliche, but there's truth in cliche is you have to go through adversity. Mhm. And you have to be able yes. to be able to bring, bring yourself when, when you go down into that valley of poor performance and that, you know, a sense of like, Oh my gosh, what's happening? Uh, bordering on despair. It's that ability to, to, to write the ship and come back out of that valley. And you need to go in and out of that. So you have to keep that muscle mm-hmm. fit to go. And, and, and unless you've been through it, it's hard to withstand, you know, the, those winds that buffer you all over the place. You know, I was at the, I was lucky enough to go to the Jays game last night. And at some point I, Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really cool. It was my very first time going to a home opener. Uh, All the years I've been in the media and all the years I could have probably gone. I just never, it never happened. And so last night I'm watching and this pitcher for the Jays, uh, Manoa gets in trouble, you know, somewhere in the second or third inning, he had the bases loaded. And my friend Rudra, who's a big fan of the show, was explaining to me, because I was talking about how the modern pitching, the way they take pitchers in and out of the game now is a lot different than it used to be, etc. And uh, we were talking about this idea that sometimes you have to leave a pitcher in trouble so they learn how to get out of trouble. And and that's what I I thought of with Brooks. Like, he hasn't really been in trouble very much. Love he hasn't, he yep. hasn't gotten himself out of it for a while. And sure enough, like he was on cruise, first few rounds, just awesome display of golf. Only I believe what they say, one of the few guys ever to get to double digits under par at that point. But at some point when the adversity showed up, he just wasn't, that muscle wasn't as um, current. Yeah, Exactly. And uh, as fascinating as this is, uh, just how cool is the re- are the renovations? <laughs> yeah, really at, uh, cool, man. Is it still called? What's, it's not called. It's Sky called Skydome. Yeah, I still. I think at Rogers Center, I still call it the Skydome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so is it still like? Is it is it as cool and as, and as homey as as Cleveland and San Diego now? Well, or? interesting you say that because uh, Freddie was telling me on the Humble and Fred show what the Rogers people did is they went to every ballpark, every single ballpark in the major league. And they decided to take the best of what they found from that experience, from the in-stadium experience with the, uh, you know, all the the noise. <laughs> it's a lot of noise. But but the way they've shaped the field is different now. It's basically they've tried to turn it from a stadium into a ballpark. So it definitely yeah, has. It, and I had been to a couple games last year. So I had a recent comparable but yeah it's definitely a little more a little cooler a little bit more baseball-y um the the even the dimensions of the outfield have changed promoting more uh, home runs like last night it was nine three was awesome but um yeah, like they lowered the uh, the wall right well what they did is it used to be a universal oval like it was the same in yeah. you know left field and center left field as it was but now it, the dimensions are different so depending on where you hit it it might be lower, it might be higher, but also the in like all a bunch of different restaurants and different places. The one thing I will say that I thought immediately was cool is one of the things they found at some stadium in the States was they've raised the bullpen up so you can see them. So, you know, how traditionally they're in the bullpen. You can barely see what's going on. So now they've raised it up. So as soon as somebody's throwing in that, you get to actually watch them warm up. You can see it. 
just little things like that. And it was a great experience. It was, uh, uh, you know, great to be. I was, as I said on the show this morning, like, I've been to three Jays games. They've never lost when I'm there. So it's kind of oh, cool. There you go. Well, you know what? Um, that That's really interesting. Because I always found that uh, it was this big kind of slab of concrete. Yeah, cavernous. It didn't really have yeah. much much uh appeal to it at all but uh it's it's cool what they're doing and but it's also interesting just for what it's worth uh my son sean and his buddies are doing this tour uh they're biting off just every year by year last year they went to fenway park nice just to watch some games and this year they're going to chicago to go to wrigley field and um it's such an interesting experience and it's kind of like golf in some ways, it's, it's like it's not just going to watch, you know, a golf tournament. It's also to to drink in the atmosphere and and the views and the smells and everything. So it, it's just pretty cool how um, baseball and golf have that um, kind of it's kind of a similar thing. Well, the will. tradition of uh, the facilities yeah. that they're played on and. Anyway, to, just to wrap things up, uh, just, uh, it was great talking to Zokol. The uh, woman he mentioned, I think, was Jill Bolt Taylor. And that yeah. TED Talk, I'm going to look it up. Mind Track. Uh, so he doesn't have an app, but I think you can go check it out online. You know, I mean, the guy's got crazy. He's, I don't know. He, you know, almost like he, he might have been too smart to be a professional golfer. Like, like he won, um, won on the Buy.com, which is now the, the Corn Ferry. He won on the PGA Tour. He's won on the Canadian Tour. Like he played in the Masters in um, nineteen ninety three, didn't make the cut, but he played in it. You know what is that like? You know he he has those experiences, and yeah, it's one thing I love about Dick is that he's yeah, as you said, he's 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 uber smart. He's oh, a yeah. really good communicator, and um, that's why I think Hutch. Uh, Ian Hutchison has him on golf now, but every week he does a phone call with him, and and that's worth checking out. But uh, no, Dick is one of the things I like about Dick is that he's willing to talk about things that a lot of people don't, and he's been talking like I mean, think of it, going into a PJ Tour event and putting on phones as and, a rookie. You know, at the time they had that Walkman was like having like you know I don't know this little box of Kleenex hooked to your. <laughs> to hook to your your, uh, yeah. your belt and he was willing he knew that he would get kitted derided of course they called him disco dick all that stuff he didn't freaking care he just said look i gotta change things up here and i'm willing to take this risk well and i guess so, I, I said he did that as a rookie he wasn't an established player he was just some guy exactly just some guy out there uh speaking of the rookie um that really is one of the unique things about golf there's very few sports where you can go from playing in college to being in the you know last group of a of a major you know as as i mentioned this on the other show too a few of my listeners pointed out that it has happened in in basketball but uh pretty interesting that that kid got to play you know, with uh, Scotty Scheffler, the first round, number one player in the world. And he looked uh, like he belonged, eh? Man. Yeah, oh, yeah. Just really impressive. And I, I really enjoyed the Masters. And now that uh, this week, of course, part of April's big lie, because this week when we're recording is like 20, 27 degrees today and uh, makes you think, well, this is great. I love Toronto. And then the next 12 days are just eight raining, shitty. 
Three degrees. Yeah, three yes, degrees. There's an actual snowflake in the forecast for next Wednesday. I know that's why all the people who have places in Florida don't come back to no, the beginning of no, May. They know. They know. Our friends at Club Link are opening up uh, their courses. A bunch of them are opening on Saturday. Is your course open Saturday? No, ours opens next Thursday, the 20th. Yeah, it's going to be six and pouring. Um. <laughs> That's why I'm hoping, that's why I'm delaying till Saturday the 22nd. All right. The all-new Stealth Irons from uh, TaylorMade. Uh, this program brought to you by TaylorMade Golf and the Stealth and Stealth HD Irons. I don't know if you've had a chance to check these out. They're ridiculous. Expect better shots more often, and you can learn more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. These are really, I think, one of the, uh, I don't know if you've picked one up, like, as far as game performance, uh, game improvement clubs go, never seen anything like them. Uh, I was having a conversation this week with somebody about them. I said, they really are the real deal. If you're looking for game improvement, find out more at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Oh, they look awesome. Absolutely. And so do you and your fantastic Oscar Bravo. Oh, uh, there's Bravo. a segue. Oscar Bravo. Yeah, that's my job. The segue helper. <laughs> Oscar Bravo. A lifestyle brand dedicated to painstakingly high-end quality in extremely limited production runs. You have that shirt. You're just one of 100 people that will. You're looking good in that, my friend. You got the guns. Like a piece so of you, art. For so God's you've got sakes. the guns to to wear a shirt like that. You've got the big biceps from doing a thousand push-ups a day or whatever it is you do. <laughs> it's, uh, for health is not for ego. Is it really? Is it really for health? Tim, <laughs> I love that. Uh, who is OscarBravo.com? And uh, that's two weeks in a row. We had Ledbetter last week. We have Zokel this week. Who's next week, Uncle Tim? I think it's Robert. Yeah, it's Robert Dameron. Dameron! I had Absolutely. Dameron on uh, the Humble and Fred show last uh, Thursday. He just oh, popped cool. in to uh, talk a little bit about the Masters. So good. Oh, he's, <laughs> Robert's, Robert's he's great. And, uh, yeah, and then in a good. couple of weeks, we have um, Sasha McKenzie. So that'll be pretty cool, too. Yeah, that's uh, that's our first time with Sasha, who is a Canadian bio... Uh, what is he? Mechanist? Biomechanist, mechanist, but he's a super smart guy. And uh, I'm interested to see what he says about... Because he's he he sort of endorses the stack system of uh, speed training. I think he actually owns it. <laughs> okay, so that's why he endorses it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm interested to see what he says about that because you know for a lot of our older golfers wondering, can you actually gain speed? Sasha McKenzie will have the answer. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it stacks up, if you will, yeah. against uh, the. Speed swings. Swing Super speed, speed and, of Super course, speed. Mach yes, 3. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. That's where you find out more about Tim. Humble and Fred uh, Radio, I think we still call ourselves. I can't. I don't remember. Just go look us up. Tim, always great to uh, be with you. Thank you, Coach. Thanks. Good to see you, too, sir. All right. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. You feel all right when you hear the music. Step inside, but you don't see too many faces.